Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell challenges the status quo, questions everything, and empowers you to return to your core beliefs to make your life better. If you're ready to hear the truth and get your roadmap to the lifestyle you really want, the next hour will change your life. And now, your host, self-made millionaire, national award-winning investor of the year, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Well, my friends, I was sitting around thinking uh, today as I was riding the bike and trying to get back in shape again. Uh, again, about once every year, every two years, I put on some type of a surge. Uh, last year, I tried to get big and strong again uh, until COVID happened. And once COVID happened, then I decided to lose weight. So I went from 220 up to 255. And just as I got there, COVID happened and said, Ooh, man, all of my body particulars are not healthy when I weigh 255. And if I get COVID, then it could be it. i die. So I decided to go back down. So since then, I've lost the weight. And I'm continuing to lose weight. Now I'm on a quest the other direction to see how lean I can get. I don't know. Maybe it's something when you get older, you just want something to do. So you've always got a new challenge you set up for yourself to keep yourself moving forward in life. And I think that's probably a good thing. So whether your your goal is to go out there and create enough passive income to replace your income, which I thought was an interesting point. A lady uh, emailed me the other day, and I did a piece on the radio show about how she didn't have a lot of income. And she didn't have a lot of money saved up. And that it was going to be very imperative that she did exactly the right things. And if she does exactly the right things, she would be able to get results. Uh, but they were going to be slow because she didn't have a lot of money. So she had to work into the results. Well, she emailed me back and said, thank you for doing you know, the conversation. That's not the total extent of the conversation. You can listen to the podcast. But she goes, thank you for the conversation. But I just want to make one point. And uh, she goes... You know, you realize the fact that I make very little money means to replace what I make is only going to take very little amount of income. And, you know, that started me thinking because that's the reality, isn't it? Why was I able to retire in two and a half years? Well, because I only made $70,000 a year. And after you take taxes and Social Security and Medicare, insurance and everything out of that, I was only bringing home about $3,500 a month. And it doesn't take a lot to replace $3,500 a month. So easily, within two and a half years, I was able to not only replace that, I actually had more than that, income coming in from passive income. So it was a valid point that she made. And, you know, I started thinking about it, thinking, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder how many other people don't realize that the, the poorer you are, the easier it is to replace your income. And then you start thinking about, okay, well, the rich you are, the harder it is to replace it, except for one point. You got a lot of money. And if you got a lot of money, it's easy to buy assets. And as you buy more assets, you make more money, and it becomes easy to replace that. So I've seen people on the bottom end replace their income very easily. I've seen people on the high end replace their income very easily. I've found that the people in the middle are probably having the most difficult time. Why is that? Because there's something weird about being middle class. The weirdness, as I call it, has something to do with you believing that you deserve to be as rich as everybody else. You deserve a nice car. You deserve a nice home. And so, 
you know, your, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your friends, your high school graduate friends, your college friends. They've got themselves a 3,000-square-foot home. You need a 3,000-square-foot home. they got a 4,000. You need a 4,000. They live in an expensive neighborhood. You need to live in an expensive neighborhood. They drive an expensive car. You need to drive an expensive car. they got expensive watches and jewelry and purses. You need all that stuff. Where, whereby you can't afford it. Well, you can. You figure out how to buy it. But everything's on payment plans, and everything is keeping you broke. It's keeping you from having money to save, to invest. And so there is this fallacy, this belief system that having stuff makes you rich. Even more inappropriate than that is that believing having that stuff makes you happy. Now, I'm a collector. I'll admit it. I'm one of those guys who likes to buy stuff, and if I get hooked on something, like when I got hooked on trains, I bought way too many trains. When I got hooked on guns, I bought way too many guns. And Whatever I get hooked on, when I try to gain weight, I gain way too much weight. When I try to lose weight, I lose way too much. Whatever the hobby is, whatever it is I'm focused on, I'm an overachiever. I'm an excessive compulsive. I understand that. My wife is an excessive compulsive. If you saw her bag collection or her shoe collection or her jewelry collection, you would understand that that's excessive compulsive. They're just, she couldn't even wear all that stuff if she even dreamed of, never in a lifetime. Maybe once on each thing. And without trying to make it sound bad on her or sound bad on me or whatever, the point I'm making is we can afford that though. Because that excessiveness of spending is a fraction of what we make. Very small fraction of what we make. And so, that's what the middle class doesn't understand, because if we meet up with good people, you got a good job, you got a, now you've got a decent-sized house and a nice car for your wife and your husband. Your husband and wife each have a car. Don't even get into putting your kids through college or paying for your kid's car and all that stuff, too. But, you know, you just got some basic bills, and you, you figure out that, man, the paycheck just doesn't make it to the end of the month anymore. It just barely gets me there. And some of you even put a little money in a 401k and save a little bit of money out to the side because they take it out before you get your check. That's the only way that you save yourself. And that's why you actually believe in 401ks is because they take it out before you can see it. So you can't get to it. You have this belief system that says, I need stuff. You also have this belief system that stuff makes you happy. Whereas the reality is, is most people that have a lot of stuff have a lot of pressure to keep up the image, to keep up the facade of being wealthy. And in their mind, wealthy, in my mind, middle class, right? And I'm sure that mega, mega millionaires, billionaires look at me and go, Dell, you're just a, you know, spit on the sidewalk. And I am compared to them financially, there's no doubt about it. But... Are they any happier than I am? That's the real question. Are you any happier than anybody else because you've got that stuff? And I don't know that you are. I really don't. I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying I don't know that you are. And so what I started reflecting on then was, okay, this lady made a good point. Happiness and being satisfied is relative to who you are and what you believe. And then I started looking at it thinking, hmm, 
But what do we actually believe to be true? What is more important for you? For me, hands down, security. There's nothing more important to me than security. I want to know that I've got enough income coming in, enough assets in the bank to get me through every stupid thing the government does to get me through. Not being able to work in the last part of my years of my life, not be able to do anything. Uh, take care of myself, my wife, my family, whatever I need to take care of, whatever my responsibilities are. And I want to know that that's there. And it's locked down. And it is right now. So I'm secure. And being secure gives me the feeling that I can go do whatever I want whenever I want. I have more than enough money to spend to do whatever I want wherever I want. So that is the kind of feeling that I like best. Now, am I the richest guy in the world? No. Could I go out and be richer? Yes. Does it matter to me? No. And so what I'm saying to you is, where is that yes and no line in the sand for you? What is rich enough and what is not rich enough? And what does striving do to get you there? Which leads to the next question. If you keep on doing what you're doing, you're going to keep on getting what you're getting. To believe that you can do the same thing and get a different result is the definition of insanity. We've all heard that quip. It's insane to believe if you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to get something different. If you have locked down your life to a certain set of priorities and ordinances and which create a certain set of predictable outcomes, why do you think it's going to be any different? And could you ever let go of them? That's the real question. Now, what this conversation is going to be about today, though, is where did you get them? And how true are these ideas you're living by? Or has someone messed you up with a series of lies and misinformation that has set you on a goal for life to work until you're 80 years old? We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we're discussing this concept. Um, it's been overwhelming my mind here for the last day or so about we are what we perceive to be true. And then you've got to ask yourself, where did we get these perceptions from? And I started thinking back and dwelled back into my childhood, and I started thinking, wow. Now that I look at it from where I'm at now, 64, going to be 65 soon, life is so simple. If I could have known now what I, or then what I know now, I could have won at almost every battle at every level, from grade school to high school to college to business, life could have been overwhelmingly great. But I had no mentor to give me the right answers. I had a lot of people to give me the wrong answers. And so I'm going to take you back to some of the things that I went through simply because I want you to think about your things that you went through. And let's start way, way, way back, early on, early on. You know, weird stuff like Kids should be seen, not heard. Shut up. Be quiet. That's pretty ironic that a guy that's a public speaker for a living on the radio, right, five days a week, 
reruns, two more, seven days a week, I'm out there talking to people, that people would tell me to shut up. When I was a kid in kindergarten, I came home to my parents, and I remember being really excited, going, Mommy, 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 I'm famous already in kindergarten. And she goes, what? I showed her my report card, and at the bottom of the report card, the commentary was, your son is infamous for speaking out in class. See, I wanted to answer all the answers. Raise my hand all the time, little know-it-all kind of guy. Why? Well, partially because I was smart and knew the answers and wanted to show egotistically that I knew the answers. The second part was as a fat little kid, and that was my way of showing off and getting attention. And so early on in life, I was told over and over and over again, don't speak out. I remember when I was in corporate America, they were training us to move up to executive positions. And they sent me to a Dale Carnegie speaking class. And everybody out there got up. It was like, and they'd cry and tears. And these are grown men and women. Could not speak. Get them to stand up in front of a crowd and take a topic. Take any topic there is and talk. And they couldn't talk. They would fall apart. They couldn't form sentences. They couldn't form paragraphs. And they'd give me a topic, and I'd get up there and blah, 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 and go, Mr. Wamsley, please sit down. At the end of the thing, they'd come over to me and say, you know, you need to learn how to articulate your message in a very short response. I said, what does that mean? He says, you like to talk too much. <laughs> and so I go, okay. It's so like, from that point on, worked at articulating my response in a very short period of time, which, by the way, was very difficult for me because I'm used to giving two-day-long seminars and to come in here when they first put me on the radio 20 years ago and they said, okay, like you've, you've got these seven-minute segments. Get a thought off in seven minutes. I go, man, I can't even formulate the beginning of a theory in seven minutes. It's just not enough to even create the, you know, the, the background necessary for the point to make sense. Seven minutes, Mr. Woms, you're going to be cut off. If you don't shut up, the radio will cut you off. You know, the producer will cut you off. So it, it was one of those things I had to learn. But really, as I went on in life, the keep it quiet, kids should be seen and not heard, that whole theory of don't stand out in public was all wrong. It's absolutely all wrong. Everything that's happened to me good in my life has come from standing out and speaking up. So it's totally wrong advice. Luckily for me, I just didn't adhere to it very well. The second thing that got me was I was a little fat kid, 200 pounds, fourth grade. I'd go to school every day and people would pick on me. I wore Coke bottle glasses, had a flat top haircut, and I was fat. So I was the kid that got picked on constantly. So I'd go home and tell my parents, and my mother had the wrong advice. She said, Dell, forgive them. They're just jealous of you. You're so smart. You're so cute and good looking. No, I was fat and ugly, by the way. And they, they really, you know, jealous of you. They really want to be your friend. So just be kind to them and try to fit in. And I'd go and try to fit in, and they'd beat me up, laugh at me, joke, make ridicule me. So finally, one day, I came home crying again. My dad said, look, the only way you're going to take care of these bullies is you need to find the biggest one, stand up to them, and punch them right in the face. When you do that, then this thing will be over. 
And so the next day I went to school, found the biggest guy in the group, went right up to him, smacked him right in the face. He and the rest of the kids beat the crap out of me. So my dad was wrong again. Now, what was wrong with both of these? Well, what was wrong with both of them was, number one, if you want to be the guy that's going to smack the crap out of the big guy and get rid of the bully, you need to be stronger than the bully. I should have gotten in shape, worked out, lost 20, 50 pounds, take boxing lessons, karate lessons, lifted weights, and then gone back and kicked the crap out of the bully. And then, like my mother says, after I beat the crap out of him, he's laying on the ground bleeding, I could have grabbed him up by the hand and said, look, I'm sorry, let me be your friend. And by the way, that's what happened to me in high school. I got in a fight with the toughest guy in the whole school, and it came down to, okay, I was the strongest kid in the state at the time. He was the biggest bully. I was a freshman. He was a senior. A lot of years of maturity ahead of me, years of fighting ahead of me, could have killed me. But at that time, because I was the strongest kid in the state, I stood my ground. He stood his ground. We pulled a truce. And from that point on, I was never bullied again. My dad had it wrong. My mom had it wrong. But there was a right answer out there. The scary part about all these wrong answers that people give you is that maybe a grain of what they're saying is true. Maybe just one little piece of what they're saying is true. And yet, in whole, it's not executable. In whole, it doesn't work out like it theoretically should work out. And so what I'm saying to you is it's those minute details that make the difference. A guy wrote me an email yesterday and said, Dell, you know, I just joined up and I want to tell you, I've been listening to you for three years and I laugh every time you say that people are required to write in the book by hand, I will not do what Dell said to do. That way when they don't do it and they come back and they have failure, you can point it out and say, okay, let's just figure out what you didn't do. And he goes, I promise you, I will not be that person. I've been listening to you for three years. I will not be that person. I will listen. I haven't written the guy back, I don't think, but I'm thinking to myself, that's exactly the reality because he made the point it's the minute details that the expert has that the beginner doesn't even know to ask in other words i get the big picture but i don't get the details and if you don't have the details you can't even ask the questions about the decisions you're going to make to make the right decision or to get even get the right information necessary to make the right decision. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Welcome back. Now here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America one person at a time, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today my contention is, is if you had been told what exactly is the right thing to do by someone who knew what was the exact right thing to do at each stage in your life that you would be a thousand times more successful than you are right now. And so we're looking back at the lies we were told in our life as we went along. I remember one lie that uh, it took a long time to substantiate, but the lie was that if you go to college, you'll do better than if you don't go to college. And I remember when I went to high school and when I was in school, they had these charts where they'd say, if you don't finish high school, you're going to have this amount of income. The average person that finishes high school makes more, makes this amount of income. One year of college, you have an increase of this amount of income. If you take a two-year college degree and get like a associate's degree or whatever you get from a community college, you get 
this much more income. If you get a four-year degree, you're going to get this much more income. And if, of course, you get a master's degree, you're going to make this much more. And a doctor's degree, you're going to get this much more. These charts were total lies. Um, you can't prove it when you're a kid. And, of course, they thought technically it was right. But that was technically right in a society of the Gilded Age. And the Gilded Age meant that most people did physical labor. And that if you could, back 50 years ago, or 100 for sure, but at least 50, if you could 50 years ago when I was growing up, have some more information than the average person, you could get a better job. But it was still based on job, and it was still based on work, etc., etc. As I went through it, the college education got defunct in my junior year because what I saw was people were coming there to use it as a party. It was a waste of time. I could tell it was a waste of my time. I could tell that the information I was learning I'd never use in society uh, other than to just be able to speak articulately with other people because you have a general broad base of information. Now, let me go back to what college really is supposed to be compared to what it is today. Originally, college was where aristocrats sent their kids. Everybody else went out and got a job and became an apprentice and learned a trade. If you really wanted to be a successful middle-class person, you had a trade. But then the rich aristocrats said, okay, my kid doesn't really need a trade, doesn't really need to know specific information. They need to be generally wise about the world so they can travel around the world and interact with intelligent and powerful people. And so they would send them to college to get this overall educational degree. Now, it then started to split from there, and some people, and I'm going to be racist here if you believe this to be racist, the Asians and the Indians I know created a very strong family bond that education was everything. Every Asian family or Indian family I know either attests to that they grew up under this type of regime or they knew of and or their family wanted them to draw, grow up under this regime that you would become an engineer or a doctor. That's basically it. Something where a lot of education would make you stand apart and you could get ahead. That was one direction. But the other direction was the liberal arts group. All of a sudden, people started believing that going to college was about getting your liberal arts degree just so you had a college degree. Because people started to believe these charts that if you got this degree or that degree or that degree, you'd make more money. But you don't come out of a liberal arts college with African dance as a major and go into corporate America and make more money. It doesn't matter. And right now, if you you go out there and you major in any of these crazy things the left is telling you to go major in, you're going to come out completely useless to society. And so you've got this whole left-wing liberal arts degree, which means you have nothing. And then you have all these other people over here, engineers and doctors, which have everything. And so college lost its perspective at that point. Then they started giving people money to go to college, and college became a party. Everybody should go to college, no matter what they're even studying. They don't even have degrees. I know many kids that got all the way to the fourth year didn't even have a degree planned. And what good was college for the average person? I remember sitting in the, the beginning homeroom, first day of college, and we were in accounting. And accounting was, accounting 101 was, that if you wanted to get into business school, you had to pass. So it was the goalkeeper or the gatekeeper, is the correct term for it. And you'd start out, there's 500 people in your lecture, and I swear to God to you, within one month, there was less than 100. 
I mean, accounting wipes people out. I have no idea why it's so hard for people to understand, or it's just so boring for them they can't handle it, but it just wiped the class out. And those people didn't get to go into business school, the school of business. They had to go pick some liberal arts thing or some other thing, whatever they could get into. But they couldn't get into business because they couldn't do accounting. And so I saw very quickly how really unprepared people were to go to college and how useless it was for them. And it was a lie. So my junior year, I quit because I could see that all the stuff that they were teaching me was doing nothing towards getting me where I want to go. Now, later on, becoming a multi-multi-millionaire without having any college degree proves that all their little charts doesn't make any sense at all, since I make probably 100 times what the average college-educated person makes a year. So that was a lie. Now, the next lie was one of the most interesting. So the next lie was a boss I went to work for, and he said, look, we work 12 hours a day, six days a week here, five days a week, but if you don't hit your quota, you have to work six days a week. So I worked in a health club. We worked from 9 in the morning till 9 at night or 10 in the morning till 10 at night. You had to be there all day to run a health club. You couldn't run a health club by, for whatever goshly reason. You couldn't run it with a, a staff that worked half the day, another staff that worked the other half. By the way, when I took over the health club business, that's what I did. I changed the hours to where people worked you know, half a day and half a day, which was really going back to 40 hours a week. But they were working everybody 60 hours a week. There was no other way in their brain it could work but to do it that way. Because they could only afford one or two intelligent people at the gym, and those one or two intelligent people had to work all day long because they couldn't afford any other intelligent people there. So what happened was is that the boss comes in one day, and the boss is an ex-pro football player, and uh, he got there because his boss, who had started the company, was a pro football player, or was one of the founders of the company who started was a football player. And his boss was a, a musclehead. So you got musclehead, pro football player, pro football player. That's the level of intelligence of people working above me, right? And um, so this guy was telling me about how the world really works. And he said, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work 60 hours a week when most people work 40. This is my plan. Literally, I'm telling you what this guy said to me. This is my plan. I'm going to make one and a half times more than anybody else. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take all that extra money and I'm going to save it, put it away and invest it. And by the time I'm 40 years old, after working from 20 to 40, just 20 years instead of 40 years, I will have developed enough money to retire at 40 years of age. I'm going to buy me a bicycle and ride across France. I'm going to date every young woman I can date. I'm going to be in great physical condition, blah, blah, blah. There's the picture. But that was his rationale for working 60 hours a week. That's what he was trying to tell us was their dream. Well, it sounded pretty good. You know, you're a young guy, you know, that's a pretty cool idea. I like, kind of like that. So I did it, and I saved the money, worked the hours, saved the money. But then I found that, you know, I lost the money uh, in the stock market and other investments that people told me were common and successful investments, like limited partnerships, oil and gas wells. I did it all. Tried them all. Had financial planners and brokers, stock brokers. Everybody helped me do this stuff and just eventually piddled most of the money away on Black Monday. Stock market stuff was a big, bad day for me. But the bottom line is, is that it just didn't work. The system didn't work. What's funny is then I went and started investing in real estate, and I became rich, and I retired in two and a half years. And then I meet this guy, and he's still working. I mean, 10 years. I was there 12 years, and then I was out for another 10. So it's 22 years later, this guy's plan hadn't worked. He still was working for a living. And... What was funny was, this is his lie. When I was a bodybuilder, he told me, what are you doing that for, Dell? Why? I was winning. I won Mr. Texas, Mr. Arkansas, Mr. Louisiana. I was a regional champion, and I was winning tons of contests all around the place. And he told me, why are you doing that? You can't eat those trophies. You can't invest those trophies. They're nothing. It's a waste of your time. I said, but it feels good to me. They said, ah, it's garbage. So, lo and behold, 
15 years later, I meet him in the gym. The company's gone out of business he's working for. He's lost all of his money. And now, at 65 years of age, he decides to be a bodybuilder. Boy, what a turn. Now, from the files of Del Wamsley. A lot of people go, well, I would really never like to retire. And the truth of the matter is, it's probably a lie. You probably would like to retire. But is that going to happen anymore? Is that really going to happen anymore? Now you take the far other extreme. By the time I was 34 years of age, I had accumulated enough real estate passive income to replace my earned income, and I retired. And when I say retired, what I'm really saying is I dropped out of corporate America. I stopped working for the man. Didn't want to go back, and I actually never did go back. Not even once. Never have gone back and got another job. So do you see these two things as the same thing? That's an interesting concept. Because every year since I've quote-unquote retired, I've made more money. Why? Because each year I buy a little bit more real estate, and that little bit more real estate makes me a little bit more money. Or I buy another business, or I start another business, and that business makes me a little more money. We'll be right back with the Del Wamsey Radio Show. Welcome back. Now, here's some more unconventional wisdom to set you free from the man on a mission to retire America, one person at a time, Del Wamsley. Welcome back to the Del Wamsley Radio Show. Today, we were talking about the plans that people gave you along the way, the misinformation, bad information about how to live your life, whether it be dietary information, which is wrong. And every day, it's funny, every day I go back to dieting again, I see stuff. I forgot more about dieting than most people ever know. And when I speak with people that are like professional bodybuilders and stuff, they know more about diet than any doctor knows. Um, there's so much to know about diet. There's so much to know about fitness and about working out. And you just don't have all the information, so you can't do what I did. I just lost 35 pounds, guys, 35 pounds in a few months. And I'll take it down another, I think I'm going to take it down another 20 just to see how lean I can get if I get down to, you know, just no fat, get down 4% body fat or something. Why? Well, retired, got nothing else to do. And because I want to live. You know, the leaner you are, the less pressure there is in your heart, blood, circulatory system, pancreas, you name it, kidneys, liver, less food you eat, the better off you are. And the more exercise you do, obviously, has its benefits also. So you put all that together, and hey, it's just something I'm doing because I thought I'd die by age 65. My whole life, I thought I'd die. Why did I think I'd die by 65? Because every other male in my family except one has died by age 65. My uncle's the only guy that lived. But by me getting to 65 and being alive and seeing my uncle is now 85 and he's alive, it gives me new hope, thinking, hmm, maybe I better have a new plan. My plan was to figure out how to survive to 65. My plan was to be rich by the time I was 65. If I've got another 20 years for the plan, whose plan do I go to now? So now I'm researching new plans. How do you survive? I read a book the other day. Um, actually, it was given to me about a year ago, something like that as a gift. It was called I'll Be Better Next Year. It's something about, hey, if you start working out right now, a year from now, you'll be in better shape than you were now. So it doesn't matter whether you're starting at 60 or 65 or 70. If you work out, you're going to be better in a year. Interesting book. I read it. got me motivated for losing all that weight. Thinking, hmm, why don't I think healthy now? I don't need to be the strongest guy around. No 65-year-olds are getting down to lifting weights and powerlifting, or nobody's stripping down and getting in your trunks and bodybuilding on stage at 65. And if you are, whew, you know, that's, that's a lot. 
that's a lot more than you need, you know, especially if you need to be healthy. So we look at the things that you were told. The 401k, you have no income. It produces no monthly income for you, and it gives you no tax write-offs. Real estate gives you income monthly and produces tax write-offs. 401k has capital gains. It has capital gains, but they're taxable when you take them out. A piece of real estate could have taxable gains you could take out by just refinancing it out and not paying capital gains on it, or 1031-ing the sale and not paying capital gains. So the 401k you have no control of. If the stock market crashes tomorrow, you're done. Piece of real estate, I've got a piece of real estate. I mean, one of the things that I figured out after I lost money in the stock market, I said, you know, I can lose my own money. I might as well go into business for myself. I can lose my own money, and I'm probably not going to lose it as fast as these guys lose it. And I thought to myself, you know, when I lost, I don't know how much it was. I, I would be making up a number, but let's say I lost $100,000. I thought to myself, you know, I could have had a nice house. I could have had a nice car or a couple cars. I could have lived life great if I just would have spent the money. And by gosh, I'm telling you, I came close to becoming one of those people that believes you should spend every penny you make because if you don't, you'll lose it. But I didn't. Somehow I got by that, and I got by that belief system. I have friends. I know people. I hired people like that. I've had people working for me like that. I know people right now that have lived under that belief their whole life. You make it, you better spend it because it's going to be gone. But I didn't. But I did find this belief. I don't want to give my money to somebody else. If I'm going to lose money, it's going to be directly related to me messing up. So when I own my own real estate, a house even is a business to me. I'm not going to mess it up. A small apartment was a business to me. Four units is a fourplex. It's not even an apartment. Five units, 10 units, 20 units. Those were businesses to me. And I figured I'm not going to mess up. Hey, I work for corporate America and I make these guys millions. I can run a stupid little fourplex, or I can run a 10-unit apartment complex. That's no big deal. But what's most important is if something did go sideways, I would be able to make the adjustments to save it. The other thing I found real quick about owning your own business is the money goes to you. Rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two is there's got to be cash flow. And my gosh, when you own your own business, that cash goes in your pocket each and every month. That's a beautiful thing. That is really what changed my life. When I saw how quickly you could build up passive streams of income and money and you go to work and you you make for your company, I was producing, I think, anywhere from two hundred to 500000 a month in sales in my division. A month. And I was making 3500 bucks a month, take home. 6000 gross maybe. And you think to yourself, how do I get only 3500 when I produce $500,000 worth of sales? Now, if you produce $500,000 worth of sales in real estate, you're probably going to have a gross margin of something like 50%. Then you're going to have some debt service on there at 30, bring you down to 20% of profit of that money. And that goes right in your pocket. That's the difference. So my friends, as you see, looking back, hindsight is 2020. It's super easy. So the only way you can get that hindsight is to find someone else that has it. Someone who has it who will share it. And then you need to follow it. Because if they share it and you don't follow it, it won't do you any good at all. And that's why I always make people write in the book. Go to the back of the book and write this down. I will not do what Dell says to do. 
And my God, you're in the radio show right now. Stop your car, pull over, pull out a piece of paper, and write this down. I will not do what Dell says to do because I don't want to be a multi-multi-millionaire. I don't want to retire in two to five years from now. I want to be me for the rest of my life. Now more intel to build a better lifestyle from Del Wamsley. My dad died at 65. My grandfather died at 65. My great-grandfather died at 65. Everybody in my family died at 65 except my uncle. So there's something about the way he lived. I think he was an athlete. And so I think he was way more active. I don't think he smoked. So the rest of my family smoked like chimneys. I think that's probably one of the reasons. But the bottom line was is that he retired. And it is the traditional retirement. Now the question does that still exist? Is there a traditional retirement out there anymore? I don't know if there is. But then you come back over to my side of the story and say, well, Dell, how did you retire? I retired because a couple of things happened. I changed my belief system about what retirement was. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you tomorrow.